Welcome everybody to the first uh, masterclass of the new year. Um, so like we were just saying, we'll see whether we've still got the old magic or not. Um, and um, this is also our first MediaWorks and MWI masterclass. So we're joined today uh, by Declan Kelly, who's managing partner of MWI in Dublin, which is our latest uh, uh, business launch so very exciting times and great to have Declan on board today um, so also also joining us today we've got um, Becca Tredgett head of strategic planning hi Becca good morning really good afternoon good morning good morning uh, we've got Andrew Blankensop creative director morning everybody and David Norris performance marketing director yeah hi everyone Great. So we're all here. Um, so, and we thought we'd start the new year off by making some uh, sweeping predictions about what we think is uh, going to be exciting and things to keep an eye on in 2022. Um, I think uh, it's fair to say that um, not only is the world moving fast, but the digital world is moving fast. Um, and, you know, we know that the businesses that kind of anticipate and adapt to the kind of trends that we see um, coming ahead are generally going to outperform and do better than the competition and uh, those that fail um, could be you know in for a rough ride um, so we're going to kind of discuss a few of these different things um, I think you know there's a, there's a lot of different things that we could have thrown into the pot today because clearly we live in interesting times um, and coming out of the last two years which I hope hopefully we are starting to come out of it but you know, there's a lot of things that I think are going to inform the next year that are, that are things that have come from that. So, you know, we've seen things like um, we've all been subject to one of the biggest behavioural um, science programmes ever conducted by a government to try and get us to, to change our behaviours, which they, they did. Um, is that going to make it through more? Or are people going to be a bit more hesitant and a bit more um, savvy about, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, social media, um, it's still the highest impact area for marketing. It has the highest impact on society. Um, um, and yet we still have a lot of conversations with um, marketeers that just see it as a paid advertising channel. You know, is, it, is are we missing a trick there? Um, we live in a world of misinformation. How are we going to make sure that people believe what we say when people are either getting sceptical or maybe they're even more gullible than ever. Um, and um, I guess, uh, you know, just, just, you know, just over the last day, you know, the reminder that the, you know, the, the government um, in the UK wanting to look at the, the, the way that the BBC is paid for um, the, the media landscape and the, the broadcast media landscape is changing and is changing rapidly and has changed rapidly during the pandemic. And, um, you know, are we, are we now going to transition away from that kind of old linear broadcasting model and uh, into something new? So there are many, many interesting and exciting things going on in the world. So we kind of picked four that we wanted to walk through today. So I'm going to hand over to David, who's going to talk about the first one. Yeah, I'm going to talk about, I think it was a really interesting um, introduction, by the way, Paul. I think you've covered it. Like, Thanks, really, David. 
a range of really um, important areas there and talking about sort of consumerism. And I think that's where for a lot of us probably all starts, you know, is, is what what's happened in that consumer journey. And I think that what one of the things I want to talk about today was that whole element of direct-to-consumer. So what we have seen is we've seen over the last the last couple of years a definite move um, for the direct-to-consumer model. Um, we've seen statistics like Unilever growing its e-commerce, um, ARM 61% in 2020 alone, 58% uh, of consumers now prefer to shop online. You know, we've seen sort of Hines to home, so providing deliveries of car products like tin food or table sauces to lock down customers, etc. But I think for me, it's about getting under the hood of what's actually driving all of that behaviour. And I think the, the things in there for me are, are, are what does that mean for businesses, I guess? And, and, and I say, what's driving that? I think what's driving that um, is potentially less footfall. So we're seeing less footfall out there due to, uh, due to the pandemic. And we know that it's it's patchy at best. We're seeing a lot of the consumer reports come back um, over that key Christmas trading period as to, you know, how many people shopped in store versus online and what the split was, et cetera. And it definitely feels like the, there's still that that intrepidation really amongst amongst customers to to go in uh, to store in the way that it was pre-pandemic. Also, I think people have been conditioned over the pandemic and we're seeing different segments and different audiences and different consumer groups feeling much more comfortable purchasing online. You know, we've all heard of the, the great pound um, becoming much more, uh, if you like, represented online, which I think is a massive driver. I also think for businesses in terms of direct-to-consumer, one of the key drivers there is that this cookie-less future that we keep hearing about. Um, I've, I've heard it referred to as cookie Mageddon, which is one of my favourite terms, I think, for, for the whole of last year. Um, the idea that we're now going to go from an advertising perspective into a, a cookie-less world. Um, but I think for me, it's really interesting when you look at the, the data behind that. And, and, you know, originally Google was going to roll out at some point in 2021. Then it got pushed to early 2022. And now it's actually... The latest news is that they're looking to push that out until 2023, where you know the use of third-party cookies across sites from an advertising perspective has been diminished somewhat. And I think that for me, like if we're seeing Google delay their rollout of it, I think that organizations really have to think about what that means for their business. Because as I say, if Google, with all of their power, all of their their brain power, resource, etc., is struggling for for the 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 to, to roll that out, I think that where we end up from a consumer perspective uh, or a business perspective is that we've got to put plans in place. So don't treat it as a two-year hiatus where you can put it on the back burner. It's something that you've got to be thinking about. And I think that that, for me, is though still one of the big things that's driving that, that direct-to-consumer behavior that we're seeing in the sense that brands want to get closer to the customer. They want to develop that relationship because ultimately – we're going to have to rely on that first-party data, data that an organization's collecting itself and the relationship that it's developing with a with a customer base. Um, that's what they're going to be able to stand on. They're not going to be able to rely on, let's say, third-party platforms or ciphering data from different areas to, to give that profiling. And I think that, you know, the benefit for that from a business perspective, if you can get that right, the direct-to-consumer element is you can control that full customer journey. You know, you can make sure that you're developing that relationship with customers. But I, I really think that, you know, the challenge is going to be around 
how do you scale that? What does that look like as we move forward? Because it's one thing to say we want to develop a relationship direct with the consumer, but it's another thing actually implementing that. And I think that one of the things for me is is we, we have to go back to, if you like, some of the things that we actually saw sort of pre um, the, the world of, of, of third-party data being so prevalent. And we're already seeing the platforms make those decisions for us, by the way, with things like Facebook removing some of their tracking functionality or targeting capabilities. And now we're actually having to go after much more broad interest groups, et cetera. So I think that yeah. if you can actually start to think about that at a very top line about throughout your customer journey, how are you actually going to sort of engage with customers and therefore how are you going to collect their data in a position to develop a relationship direct to the consumer and then keep them and keep retaining customers and making sure that we've got that retention piece right. I think that that's going to be an absolute key theme throughout the rest of this. Yeah, year. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's quite it's quite interesting because um, I think by by having to contemplate a cookless world, um, it, you know, and when we when we talk to clients about your need to have first party data or zero party data, as some people call it, you're really talking about how do you get email addresses off people, um, yeah. which which t- kind of takes you takes me back in time to <laughs> you know the world before you had social media. Then mm-hmm. email was a really really important channel, and you put a lot of time and effort into. Um, developing the the relationship with with consumers through email and giving them really good reasons to sign up. You yeah. talked about Heinz, though. Um, you know, I used to work on Heinz, and um, Heinz before the internet came along had um, they had I think it was three million people on an email database, and that was one of their most valuable assets. And that mm-hmm. kind of dwindled away because. We, we found other ways of getting more directly to people and it's kind of mm-hmm. a bit of a it's a bit of a you know you know a, a bit of a turn back the clock to go um and how are you going to persuade people you know it might be through uh, offering people discounts or vouchers or um, unique experiences but it's a hell of a job to persuade people to say okay the reason why you're not giving this permission for cookies is because of your privacy now instead we want you to give it an even more Mm-hmm. private piece of information which is your email address yeah. so i think that's that's going to be an interesting one and i think i think the other thing is that um like you say you can learn a lot from the, the way the world was before you had cookies so yeah. before we had cookies you would target people based on knowing their ip address mm-hmm. and all these things are still true there are ways there are ways that we used to do this before we had cookies so some of it is going to be about um the platforms developing technologies and advertisers developing ways of thinking that we've just got a bit we've got you know it's been a bit of a luxury having having all this cookie data yeah i think i think paul will come to come back on that as well i think it's an important point there is though is yeah i think it's really important to look back but also knowing that consumer behavior is significantly changed in that period of time like what yeah. personalization was you know pre pre cookies pre all of you know the mass data yeah. that you've been seeing it's very, very different than the personalization that consumers expect now. And I think that that, for me, is going to be really interesting because if people are thinking that they're just going to be able to hammer people with generic emails um, over and over again, it's going to be, you know, you'll see that people will essentially, um, you know, decline yeah. and, and want to withdraw the, themselves. The, yeah, them. people, people will be very disappointed by the experience that doesn't know who they are, where they are, how old they yeah. are, and, and, and that kind of thing. So well, it will be very interesting to see. Yeah. Okay, so great uh, topic to kick off on. Um, so I think the next one that we just wanted to kind of have a bit of a think about, which which kind of feeds into all of that, um, Blanks, so you're going to talk about shoppable content. 
Yeah, I got I got a big subject, didn't I, Paul? Shoppable content. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, D2C is quite a big topic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, social and uh, shoppable content on social, and then I, I've seen the extension of and gaming, which is even more. I've I've kind of been interested in this idea of kind of using games to promote brands and products for for a while now. After a couple of things happened, which I'll get onto at the end. But in terms of so, you know the importance of um, social commerce and shoppable content on social platforms, I think it's it's a massive area that isn't necessarily new. It's something that we've been kind of you know banging on about for some time now, and actually including it in your strategy. And you know this is a huge extension of e-commerce um, I think it's not to replace e-commerce I think it plays a massive part in, in the journey of transacting online but you know social platforms have been grown and grown I think you know last year was a tricky one I think a lot of people lost faith in big brands but more people use social channels than they ever have before I think you know, during the pandemic the, the rise of activity on social platforms just created this whole host of opportunity to engage with end consumers. I think particularly, you know, Gen Zs and also kind of millennials are more influenced by products and brands that they see on social than ever before. Um, Last year, TikTok took over Google as the most visited website in 2021, which kind of just shows the rise of social and how important it is. I think we're kind of, I think it, it gets really not, not tricky, but I think where you really have to think about where social commerce and products on social plays a part is actually creating the right content for, for each platform. Because I think the way that you execute that content is very much platform specific. You know, where Instagram will allow you to immediately extend adverts and make them shoppable and click them directly through to an e-commerce experience. Whereas a strategy around TikTok is much more around kind of placing products into content that's relevant for TikTok, whether it's a challenge, whether it's storytelling, whether it's a guide or how-to guide created through TikTok, that's where you see huge successes. I think if you look at, yeah, how can I I admit this? But me, me, me daughter watches an awful lot of TikTok and I find her watching, you know, DIY guides, you know, lick paint on how a room has been transformed from it being taken apart, put back together again. And you sat there and, and you're four and a half minutes into this piece of content that you didn't think you were going to watch. And actually, I think that's not just shop, shop, shop up the funnel, but it's actually how do you put the product onto a platform, make it engaging, adapt to a trend, and then see see the impact that it has off the back of it. You know, the, the increase of brand searches from trending on TikTok will go through the roof. So I think social, uh, it, it, you know, this idea of kind of making content shoppable on social, the big challenge or the interesting thing is how brands are going to adapt to that. You know, uh, Calvin Klein, for example, used it as a way just to showcase the product and see huge kind of growth on the channel in, in TikTok in particular, whereas other people are being way more creative, I think, um, in the content that they create. Yeah, it's a bit scary to think that most of our, most of us, our only reference point for this is QVC. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's exactly that, isn't it? But just to millions and millions of more people. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting, Andy, what you said there. Um, if you go back, though, to look, who you're trying to appeal to, who's the target audience, you know, if it's younger, they are. They're on TikTok. That's not to say TikTok is right for every brand or, or you know, business problem. So I think if you're matching that platform or social platform to who you're ultimately trying to target, that's a really good starting point. And it's okay. You don't have to make up the excuse you're watching your daughter's TikTok. <laughs> you can have your own TikTok and watch it on the... I'm this close. I'm this close. But I think, you know... I, 
I think when you look at that whole experience of thing, it, for me, it's about identifying where social plays a part in your entire journey mm-hmm. because it has to be frictionless, doesn't it? It has to feel seamless to go from watching mm-hmm. content on top of the funnel, then a little bit of product placement, then you're moving through into the website and that that kind of conversion point isn't necessarily always on channel, but it's it's a huge opportunity to get in front of millions and millions of people. Um, I know I haven't got that much time. We've got a lot to get through, but, but game game commerce just fascinates the life out of me. You know, I've all you know. I remember playing kind of FIFA as a young as a young child, and you look at the, the adverts around around the pitch, and you think, well, actually, you know, there's a highly engaged audience spending probably way too many time, way too many hours on computer games, and actually, the, the, the opportunity mm-hmm. there to raise brand awareness, product placement is huge. I think um, here we go. Where is it? What's it? Is it? Twitch and the millions of people that tuned in is the uh, a skin released on Fortnite or what was it called? Um, there was a particular music artist who went and released a skin and he actually did a con he did a, a concert in game where you had millions of people turning up to kind of launch a new album within an audience, as you say, that and that you know, right in the sweet spot of who they're targeting, highly engaged, almost a cult following. Um, so I think you know, game commerce and that and actually even just in-game. Uh, kind of, I suppose, conversions and selling products in-game is a massive opportunity. But Andy, me, I have a confession to make. I went to that concert on Fortnite. I think it might have been Marshmallow. And I went just to see the young fellow was on. And holy shit, it blows your mind, the level of work. But to see them talking with their mates and they're hanging out with their mates in this game. And then he's hitting me up for V-Bucks. And I'm gone. I might as well take out 20 pounds and burn it. Because it's virtual <laughs> currency. But to him, to the kids, uh, this is giving them status. You know, they're buying that stuff. I think it's, it's really interesting. Concert was pretty good too. And yeah, Travis, Travis Scott did the same thing. Um, and yeah. I, I wasn't playing Fortnite. I was, it was my friend's son, I promise, was watching it. Um, and literally jumping around and the music being released. And I just think it's, but again, it's about how to be creative in that platform and how to, how to storytell, how to make content that's engaging as opposed to just you know dropping a product in making it a shoppable ad i think we can be a lot more creative in, in these platforms now i think yeah. i think i think for me i think just to tie, tie that all together i think for me it's all that inexperienced commerce you know is, is really what we're seeing and whether that be whether you're in social whether you're in games there's definitely an opportunity and to tie back into the point that i made right at the beginning around sort of direct to consumer we know mm-hmm. that data, cookies, et cetera, is challenging. So it's a case of, 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 you know, implementing something unique that stands out in platforms where people are already operating and feeling mm. already comfortable. And I think the level of comfort that we're seeing in people in terms of the experience that they're willing to have and how comfortable they feel in an online environment now really plays into all this. Yeah, and there isn't, um, and, and I think, you know, as with all good marketing it comes back to understanding your audience really well understanding the channels that they're in understanding you know what they're getting into and one person's fortnight live gig is another person's really boring youtube channel as i was watching last night some guy in new york (laughs) banging on about guitars and he's got full affiliate links he's probably about 65 and you know 250 youtube followers you know Uh, anyway so which kind of brings us on to the next bit because actually what we're talking about here is communities. Mm. Like Becca. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, we have talked specifically about social. I mean, we could have done a whole, 
masterclass on social predictions, couldn't we? Um, and I think we kind of look at it every year. But I think where we've kind of seen from probably one of the big things from the pandemic is um, people realising how important those connections and communities are to us. So, you know, we had it brutally snatched away from us for a while where we were only allowed to go out for a walk a day. Um, and I think it really made people realise that um, the power that digital and the internet can have in terms of creating those communities and making sure that you've still got those connections in place. I think we've seen that bit of resurgence in terms of social playing that role. You know, it was very much like that when social media came out years and years ago. Um, and then it very much got kind of um, became this advertising platform, which is still a brilliant advertising platform uh, but we're definitely seeing a bit more of that kind of building communities and I think um, it's a funny one because that's a kind of an area I think brands really struggle to tap into how do you build communities and how do you build a community as a brand that people want to join and people want to follow you know people aren't probably going to want to just join a community that is talking about just your toothpaste all day every day you know, um, so what is it you can offer people and what is that value exchange that you can give people, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, they're going to stay around and they are interested. Um, and I think, you know, we're starting to see a lot of the social platforms um, moving towards that as well. You know, for the last couple of years, Facebook have been very focused on their kind of groups. Um, and I think, you know, we see a lot of kind of specific um, local groups, but also interest groups. And then um, this quarter, Twitter have launched for some people and are rolling out communities, which will basically be special threads that you have to be invited to join, will be around specific kind of topics. So again, it's kind of very much that community focus and thinking kind of smaller interests rather than just broadcasting out at people. And I think, you know, like we've kind of said and we were saying about um, gaming and kind of um, what Declan was saying about, it's about understanding your audience, understanding the platform they're on. You you know, it might not always be TikTok or Twitter. It could very much be Reddit where those kind of conversations are happening. Or is it, you know, in LinkedIn groups, that's often something um, that we see for B2B audiences. Um, even forums as well. We kind of don't really talk about forums anymore. They feel really old school um but you know they're still very active and for certain segments as well interest segments really really popular so I think the first thing is really understanding where your audience are um, but then also like I said really thinking about what you know what can you offer that audience that isn't just advertising or broadcasting or selling to them what is that kind of value exchange really like we were talking about email earlier um, what you know what is the reason that people are going to stick around and listen to you um, so I think that's you know really really important and I think it's um, a lot about thinking about you know how you manage that as a brand right you've got that strategy in place you know you're really there to facilitate those conversations between people and that's you know a super important element thinking about how you can get people to be active what kind of conversations um, you know what kind of content might provoke conversations so I think making sure you're actively managing that um, and I think as well, it's always, you know, it's always important as well when we're thinking about communities that it's not necessarily all about those really big numbers. You know, you might be a really niche brand or have a really niche specific. So it might be more about the amount of people that are actively engaged rather than have millions and millions of people kind of joining that community. So I think that's really important to kind of bring it back to that. Go on, Paul, were you about to say something? No, 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 come here. <laughs> and then um, I think as well, thinking about those active members, 
And yes, I've said, um, you know, we want, you know, it's not about selling and it's not about pushing your brand and products, but actually thinking about how you can then use those people as ambassadors. Um, you know, we know that word of mouth is still hugely influential in people purchasing. So how can we get people shouting, you know, about the brand and about the product as well? So I think all of that, um, you know, kind of puts you in a kind of position where you can start thinking about whether, you know, creating a community is appropriate. But I think, you know, I think it's also important not to underestimate the amount of resource and work that will take. It's not a case of just setting up a Facebook group and hoping for the best. It's about that kind of active content creation management. And, you know, for some brands, that might not be a possibility. So it might be about how do you um, tap into those communities without necessarily running one. So it could be doing things like, you know, advertising in certain places, or it can even be, you know, guest spots, um, you know, Reddit do, uh, AMA, Ask Me Anything. So whether you can have people from your brand go on and do that. Um, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't be uh, do a live in a Facebook group or on an Instagram channel as a guest, you know, guest panelist, a bit like this. So I think it's thinking about kind of more creative ways that you can um, play a part in those communities if it's something that you can't facilitate yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, um, yeah, Reddit's been a big revelation for mm. me over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, when I look on my phone, my most used icon now is Reddit. And mm. uh, Reddit's brilliant. And um, and and also, like you say, the idea of ambassadors coming out of those mm. things, you, you, you know, it, it really does happen. And they're, they're really valuable places. Yeah. And I spent a hell of a lot of money before Christmas that I blame on Reddit. For sure, um, and uh, but but also you know Facebook's al- alive and kicking. Um, mm. I know that you all know that I'm a big fan of new school breakbeat music, right? <laughs> so um, I follow these DJs called Stanton Warriors who are pretty global now, loads and loads of social followers. They just decided to do a thread a couple of weeks ago and said, right, tell us all your favourite tune. And then there are so many responses to it. They created a new Facebook group that's already got 6,000 followers and they've already decided to launch a record label, do a tour, all all of this stuff. And the first thing they did was say, right, who wants to be an admin? So they're not doing it. Mm. It's a community that has created itself and you just see it happens. So it's still happening on Facebook as much as it's happening on Reddit. But yeah, don't underestimate the the power of all of this. And you kind of go, you know, I, I'm I'm not. I don't play Fortnite. I do watch Twitch occasionally. I was watching 200 people flying around uh, New York last night on Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's how interesting my life is. Um, but yeah, be in it, be in it, be involved. Find the thing that you're yeah. into. And uh, you know, Twitch. There's loads of stand up comedy on there as well, which is great. So there's something for everyone. Right now. Our final thing that we wanted to talk about, um, we said at the beginning about, you know, there's, we've, we've talked a lot there about, you know, the world of cookies and privacy. We've talked about um, how social and communities is is really important and, you know, the, the, it's kind of effective lots of people coming together. So I think the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is, um, you know, a big topic is then let's talk a little bit about behavioral science and over to Declan. Cheers, Paul. I just want you to know if those DJs are coming and playing in Dublin, you know, you're invited. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. And <laughs> um, yes, I'm going to talk about behavioral science and nudging. Look, it's not new. It's been around a good few years, but I think the application of it and the lessons learned and applying them, particularly to B2B, has huge potential. So what is it? It's essentially how we make decisions. And much as we'd like to think, our brain is essentially lasers, uh, lazy. 
So the, um, the phrase I like is cognitive misers. We are always looking for those shortcuts. And that's why we continue to buy what we've always bought. It's just easy. So we get into that habit. And I think if you're a, a brand or a service, it's about creating that new habit. So within behavioral economics and science and nudging, there's little tricks and tips uh, that can, can be used. So establishing or creating a new habit. Here's the first thing to remember is the three R's. Remind, routine, and reward. So remind is that prompt that gets the brain into automatic mode. One example I have is the local DIY shop will text me on the phone, going to bank holiday, get out there and clean the leaves. So that's my kind of, you know, reminder. The routine of it is the response. That can be either a physical, mental, or emotional. So what do we want people to, to do, to think, to feel? And the reward. Uh, what's that reward that you're going to give to reinforce that habit, that little dopamine hit or whatever it is. So remember, you can do the three ors through your paid for media space, but also could be on your own media, such as your social. Uh, but you can also think about encouraging sort of direct contact. So think of it like that text message I get or the app notification or the emails. All these are those prompts, reminders. So the other thing to look at is when are we most likely to be open to creating new habits. And really, life events are a key time. So I'm talking about, you know, moving house, getting married, getting divorced, starting college, all these things where there's a bit of an upheaval, you are two and a half times more likely to be open to creating a new habit. So for us as marketeers, that's gold. So some of the stats here, for instance, look, 400,000 people in the UK will move home this year. In Ireland, that's 20,000. Uh, 250,000 people are getting married in the UK. Um, in Ireland, uh, 4,000 people are gonna get a divorce this year. And guess what? If you've had a divorce, you are two and a half times more likely to try a new beer brand. I mean, if that doesn't <laughs> say opportunity, I don't know what does. So the other thing there that we're looking at, I think is social proof. And this is the idea of that line outside the cafe or the coffee shop. You go, what's going on there? That must be good. Uh, you see a celebrity or uh, drinking a particular brand of coffee. That is social proof. You want to you uh, try that. So let's think about how that can be used, you know, for your business or your, for your brand. So think of those testimonials. Think of the followers that you have, the likes, your shares. All this stuff is social proof. Right through to it could be the number of sales that you've made. That list goes on and on. So think of that consumer reviews, personal recommendations, all that stuff is gold in terms of social proof. And linked to that then, you'll see other examples of creating scarcity. Has anyone ever been on booking.com? And they go, two rooms left. And you're like, geez, I better get it. Or it might be the flip side of that. You're one of 50 people looking at this. So again, it's that social proof piece. So have a think about how that can uh, help your business. And then finally, the last thing I think is really interesting is uh, what we call anchoring. So it's that idea of, of how you communicate value or price. So I'll give you a good example here. Nespresso, Nespresso anchored their price versus Costa or Starbucks. So little pods, 45p a pod, when you look at that anchored against the cost of 350 for your cappuccino or latte, seems remarkably good value. However, pound for pound coffee versus the packaged stuff you buy in the supermarket, it's 20 times the price. So it's that idea of they've anchored it against the correct thing that makes that 
value of, of the Nespresso much more, um, it lands so much better. So think of it, a pound a day, it sounds much better value than 365 pound a year. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. I'll chuck out this last one, the greatest example of anchoring there is from De Beers, and they anchored the cost of an engagement ring should be equal to one month salary. And it was worked so well for them that we went into a different market. They said, let's try it. We'll go with two months salary. And then when they went to Japan, yes, they did it. Hello, Japan. You should spend three months salary on your engagement ring. And that's now what the Japanese spend. So the final thing I'm going to leave with, uh, leave with, leave with you is next time when you're out at a fancy restaurant, and maybe not so fancy, you will notice that some restaurants are now removing the currency symbol from their list. They'll still have the price in there, but by removing the currency symbol, it's put a bit of distance between the cost and the value. And it is a way, again, a technique that will get you to spend more. So get out there in the wild, watch and see some of these tips and tricks and actions, but think how they can apply to your business. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Declan. And I think... Um, I think the point about life events, um, it, it, you know, uh, it, and it, it's interesting to see whether the last two years that we've all been through and are still going through would is actually mm -hmm. probably a very big life event, that this is a great opportunity to say to people, um, break a habit, start a new habit, you know, mm -hmm. there's... It's it's quite interesting that you know did did during the pandemic did everybody choose to quit smoking? No, a lot of people smoked more. You know, did people choose mm -hmm. to get healthier? No, they ended up drinking more. You know, so it's not always that the habits have been good habits, but um, you do get a sense that people are going to come back into the world and say and 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 a lot of people have changed a lot of things. Um, and uh, and you know it's a good opportunity to say you know do things differently. Now is the time to get an electric car. Now is the time to to do these other things. What do you think mm. to that? And Paul, on that on that note, like the whole shift to a cashless society. Yeah. When we go into a shop and we pay by cash, we actually lose track of how much we spent. And we've done it. We've been in going. I'll take that that that. You tap the card. If you were to ask, you know, the people coming out of the shop, how much have you just spent? Not sure. So that kind of change is also opportunity. You can think about bundling your products together. Um, so that's the difference between handing over our hard-earned cash and counting it out and the simple tap. So you're right. Everything yeah. is kind of changing, but it's great opportunity there as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Anybody else got anything to add on that last one? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I love that diverse campaign. I think it's so good. I mean, because it is, it just seeps into consciousness, doesn't it? Like most people don't even know it was a marketing campaign. They just think that's traditional now, right? That's how much you spend on an engagement ring. It's brilliant. I'm starting the campaign to bring it back to a more reasonable two weeks. <laughs> <salary>. <laughs> One week. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just delighted I'm not in Japan. <laughs> 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 great well um so thanks very much everyone um that that was brilliant and uh i hope uh, that that's given the attendees today food for thought and uh, people that are going to listen on the podcast later um you know i think we kept the the topics um deliberately quite quite broad but but within all of those mm -hmm. there's, there's some real detail that you can get into and actions that you can take um and it's you know it's, it's definitely the way that you know we collectively feel that you know that things are going and that, that where the opportunity is going to be going to be found but but some of it's just about thinking differently and just kind of going you know don't 
don't don't just carry on the way you were because the world the world isn't carrying on the way that it was the world is is always you know veering off into other directions um and uh, and just to kind of you know just to kind of recap really what we went through was you know direct to consumer really important and you know whether you whether, you know if you don't sell direct think about selling direct or certainly think about your digital shelf please see mm-hmm. earlier um podcasts for our, our big discussion around that shoppable content in social um you know it, it's it's going to be there and, and i think you know it's it's what form it's going to take god you know please god it doesn't become qvc you know, it can be a lot more creative and a lot more imaginative than that. It can be people cooking a cake and you click a button and you get all the ingredients delivered to you. You know, it can be um, you're in Fortnite and you can buy the album. You know, it's great. there's many, many more creative ways of doing that. The value of creating communities, um, I think that, that, you know, when we're talking about a world of zero party data and people, you, you know, the, the, one of the easiest answers to that is, is you create a community of people as a brand and people will come to you. You know, so yeah, they don't have to give their email address. They can just be part of your community. But think about how you can work with communities. Don't think about you know, be enthusiastic about going and looking at things like Reddit, going and looking in forums, and and seeing seeing you know what you can learn from that, and you know what the value of getting involved or even creating your your own communities can be over and above just regular social pages. And then uh, I think Declan's bit at the end there about behavioural science. I mean, you know, we should all be studying it as marketeers and learning from it um and uh you, you know it, it, it it's important because it's a lot of how marketing marketing is working you know the, the world has moved on from you see it a 30 second ad on the tally or or even you know there's a lot of things that are influencing people and um you know <clears throat> if we're not using them then we can be sure our competitors will be so we need to we need to get on top of all of that so i hope you've enjoyed that today and um you know, a good a good first run out for the MediaWorks and MWI Masterclass. Um, and uh, tune in again next week. Um, and we'll be, um, I think we'll be doing a bit more kind of future gazing, but probably on a bit, uh, a bit more of a specific topic for next week. We shuffled things around a bit, which is why I'm hesitating. But, um, but yeah, thank you to all the panellists today. Brilliant job. And um, we'll see you all again soon. Bye for now. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, hey. Start. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, hey.